2: This is The Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. One of the most talked about topics on the show is networking and relationship development. It's kind of the face and the function of the whole show. And it's what we teach at our live programs at The Art of Charm. And it's number one with a bullet, the highest leverage point that any of us have had here at The Art of Charm in business and in our lives. And if you've been listening to the show for a while you've also heard most of our guests talk about how that's the same for them from their success, regardless of what industry they're in. It's all been about relationships. So we wanted to bring on both AJ and Gavin Masters, an expert here at the Art of Charm that you probably haven't heard from yet. He writes a lot on the blog, but doesn't talk a lot on the show. So I wanted to bring you in, Gavin. Thanks for showing up. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, pride you up here to to studio all the way from Los Angeles. And AJ's on as well. How's it going? Excellent, and Jason's behind the scenes telling me to stop talking so fast and stop yelling into the microphone, and that's his job. So I think that a great place to start with this is actually how we met Gavin, AJ, because that in itself is kind of a a perfect example of this stuff in action on on everyone's part. You know, curated networking event, how one of us approached whoever it was, I don't even remember. So AJ, you want to start us off with the story of how we met Gavin at uh, Summit? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite parts of the story is that weekend,
1: it was pretty much a networking conference and they had a lot of breakout rooms with sort of forced networking games and a lot of like trying to force the connection. Yeah. And out of that weekend, I would say we probably walked away with like three or four really close friends and Gavin is one of them. And meeting Gavin happened outside of all of those little games and that forced networking. So I think that's the ironic part about our meeting is that, yes, we met at a networking event, but it was pretty much after hours when everyone was just with their guard down, chilling and having a good time.
0: Yeah, it's so funny, right? When we talk about networking, the thing that keeps coming up is like any event that has the word networking in it is usually not the greatest place to meet people because there always seems to be that ulterior motive, right? But in that particular context, I think there was just nothing other than our desire to get to know each other that was driving it. And that's what stands out in my mind.
1: And I think get a little drunk in the process. <laughs> <It> doesn't <laughs> it's hurt. because
0: after a long day of listening to talks and, and meeting bunches of people. But then that's where it started. I think where the magic happens is when we actually got to know each other, which I think is where, you know, relationships get interesting after that first conversation or that first meeting. It's really about both people investing in the relationship for very organic reasons that make them interesting, that make them deep. And that's what happened with us. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we walked
1: away with a suitcase full of business cards. I know Jordan and I were kind of laughing on the plane ride home, like, how could we possibly keep up with all of these people? And it's that meaningful first step, right? It's who actually connects after the first step, after the meetup, the follow-up, that leads to the real connection. And I think a lot of people fail in that. They're very good at collecting business cards, collecting, you know, numbers, but they're not good at collecting connections.
0: And this might be a Los Angeles thing, this might be an LA-specific thing, but I have a feeling this kind of shows up in all sorts of different contexts. There was one moment, Jordan, when you and I met up for dinner for the first time, I think a day or two before, I'd sent you a text being like, hey, man, are we still on for dinner? Are we still going to grab whatever it was that we were going to do? And you were like, when you showed up to dinner, you were like, you know, I was... uh, surprised when you sent me a text because everybody i met in la so far has been super flaky right like oh this is actually happening and the reason you
2: sent that text is because you could have showed up and i would have been like oh sorry bro uh, i'm at yoga or whatever totally spaced, didn't make it on my calendar totally spaced. oh traffic i'm leaving now meanwhile i'm like getting in the shower um that's very la but i i will say in terms of follow-up It's not just, hey, how did you follow up? I got your business card. The roots have to go around it because if you just get business cards, and people do this all the time at events, they'll get my card or something like that, and then they'll send me a follow-up email, but I'm like, who is this guy again? I don't know who this person is. Ah, we're not really, this isn't gonna happen. And I think that that's important because the groundwork for the follow-up has to happen in real life at the actual event. So collecting business cards, can not you can't just sort of salvage or create a relationship out of whole cloth just because that person gave you contact info. That's something that a lot of people do wrong when it comes to relationship development, is they think, well, I can always follow up later where there's infinite time, So right now I need to focus on meeting as many people as possible, but I'd love to focus more on like the quality versus quantity
0: type thing, and especially getting to that early on. Well, that gets into the transactional quality of a lot of networking these days. tell me if you guys agree, but I feel like the more networking as a concept gets into popular culture, like every time you go on Business Insider, there's a headline about networking or every single blog you visit has some content around networking. It seems that everybody's like so much more focused on the mechanics of it. Like, where do I meet them? How do I do it? What do I say? What do I follow up with? What are the templates? Instead of just remembering that like there are two people in that exchange, which is the, you know, the most interesting part of when I think back on the moment we met. Yeah, they're trying to figure out what app to use to network.
2: Meanwhile, they can't start a conversation and when they do, it doesn't go anywhere. We back this up to the point where people are going, well, what events do I even go to? And we talk about this a lot in the social capital product, but I'd love to give away some of this for free just so people get a taste of kind of how we network AOC style in the company what we actually practice as opposed to outside experts and opinions. So what's the first thing we do? We're obviously looking for the type of event that we're going to. Where we see a lot of folks and where we see a lot of emails coming in from listeners is where do I meet people? I've been going to, you know, meetup.com events for 2 years or I've been going to the local chamber of commerce to meet other business owners and it's not the worst thing, but it's it's far from ideal. It's it's basically one step up from staying in your house and tweeting at people.
0: Well, I think what you're getting at is that when you think of networking as either an activity to do or a thing on your to-do list or like a thing you need to carve out time to go do, like go to a networking event, go to the Chamber of Commerce or whatever, as opposed to making networking just this Reflexive, ongoing, like layer to your life where you might meet somebody interesting at line at Dwayne Reed or CVS just as easily as you might meet somebody, probably even more likely if you see someone cool in a random opportunity than you would at like an explicit networking event. And I think a lot of what we talk about here at AOC and what we've been promoting and pushing a lot on the blog is this idea that you can build networking into your life where it doesn't feel like a thing to do it feels like a way of relating to the world. And if you do, then you can find interesting people anywhere. It's exactly that. It's not a system, it's a lifestyle. You have
1: to work it in as something that is cultivated just like your personality. And stop looking at one event or one-off events as your goal to networking and making it something that's a task, as you said. Instead, anyone, any opportunity that you have to meet someone becomes another gate to open in your network.
0: And I think to capitalize on those moments, you have to be willing to look at people as as an opportunity to find something interesting. Like there isn't that agenda from the moment you start talking to somebody that can constrain like the reasons you would want to get to know them. If you talk to somebody about like, you know, I don't know, the candy bar in their hand, then you might open up a window into some accidental conversation that's so much more interesting than whatever you would impose on that person if you were like, hey, that's somebody I should network with.
2: Right. So it has to be a little bit more kind of organic but also basically a set of habits and something that you don't set out to do as a task. But the problem that I would have with it, I I think originally if I was just learning this stuff fresh, I would say, well great, how do I build those habits without structuring a time to actually do it sort of consciously, right? It's this weird paradox, like do it naturally, do it as a way of being and you're like, great, how do I start being a different way? Doesn't that require something manual in the beginning? where do I begin?
1: It's basically being curious. It's opening yourself up and being curious to the people that you're interacting with so that you pull out their value. You can identify their value very readily. I mean, everyone's favorite conversation is themselves. So if you're curious with everyone you meet and ask questions that allow them to open up to you, you can very quickly understand where this
2: person derives their value and and then you can look for ways to add to their life. And in social capital, we kind of outline this very specifically, what you can do to find out what people are needing, how you can quote unquote give value, which is really, really vague when you say just give value, because what people are thinking, I don't have any money and I don't have any good connections, what am I going to do for somebody who's higher than me on the totem pole? Like, Where does that value come from? And I don't want to just tease social capital, so where does that value come from? If, what if I'm... 30 and I've just been working in an office for my whole life. What can I possibly do to help a thought leader? What can I possibly do for somebody 10
0: years my senior in my company? Well, let's unpack that because I think that example has a bunch of assumptions that most people think of when they think of networking. They imagine this case of like, I've met this important person or I want to reach this important person. Suddenly I'm struggling to figure out what it is that I have to provide to them. And that's not always the case. In fact, I'd say most interesting networking happens in and around your level uh, where you are. It could be your friends. It could be your friends who have never thought consciously about networking, or it could be the guy who sits around the corner from you in the office or your neighbor, or like we said, the stranger you meet at... Dwayne Reed. So the fictional example of having to supply some crazy immense value for some super important person will definitely come up, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the first step in building your network. The much easier thing to do and the much more fun thing to do is just start to think about the easy, small, practical ways that you can turn around and help somebody and help them not in the sense of like, I'm going to give you this so that I can get that later on, which of course is one of the most tempting pitfalls of early networking. And to be honest, kind of advanced networking yeah. as well where you get that agenda and that transactional kind of networking where it's like, I'm aware that I'm introducing you to this person and in six months when I need to get an intro to that venture capitalist, you better be there. You know, right. That's the kind of inauthentic networking that we are so not about and that we're really teaching to replace with a more organic kind of networking which is about investing simply, like AJ said, because you're curious about other people. You want to see them succeed. And I think that's a mindset that if you cultivate – it becomes suddenly so much easier because you're there to help people to see them grow. And then who knows how that's going to come back around, but it will.
1: And the value that you're giving them does not have to be immense, right? If you take the example of a thought leader, if you happen to come across an article that's really interesting in his field of study or his area of interest, and you pass it along over email, I'm sure you get a lot of articles on a daily basis, but this one was really interesting to me. I figured
0: you would enjoy it. Such a good example, right? Because I think we read things every single day that are interesting in some small way. And if you take that extra second to just imagine like who else would be interested in that, who else could benefit from that, you're not just passing along that piece of information, which is super valuable, but you're almost allowing somebody else to like outsource the job of researching and learning to you. And that is a form of value.
3: Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify.
1: That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.
3: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want
1: to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
3: Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses
1: business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and
2: conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, back to the toolbox. One sort of hack that works on me, I should say, is when people find out something that I like, which is not hard. I mean, they listen to the show, it's really easy. But the friends of mine will send me something like, Hey, I found a photo montage of North Korea. I don't know if you've seen it already. And I'm like, Ah, because of course I get stuff like psychology says that people who stand up straight look more beautiful, or I'm like, yeah, okay, this is a good article, I appreciate it, but 85,000 people are sending me that article that day from psychology today. You know who sent me the North Korea photo montage? One person. And I actually looked at it, because it's a photo montage, it took me 10 minutes, I've seen most of the photos already, but there's always one or two where I'm like, oh cool, my friend took these. You know, or I might know the people, because that's a small community. So you can find out, something about somebody that's not just like, oh, you're the security contractor for Apple? Well, let me send you a bunch of security stuff. That's their job. But if you know they like racquetball because you LinkedIn stalked them or or you found them on Facebook or you met them at another event and you talked about that instead of work, now you've got this sort of different angle, which they're actually more interested in in the moment because they're sitting in a in an office going, oh, man, I can't wait till I get out of here and play some racquetball.
0: And there you are. And they're more interested in that also because you've chosen to look at them as like a whole A whole human, person. Yeah. As opposed to like this narrow thing that they do for eight or 10 hours a day, which might be important to them, but it isn't the full story. Like this guy might respond more emotionally to you sending him tips on racquetball strategy or, you know, travel recommendations for his Costa Rica trip as opposed to like sending him yet another industry report.
2: Yeah, it's it's really, because let's be honest, if people are sending you that, if you send me an article and 15 other people send it to me, I might read it, but if you go, hey, I'm that guy that sent you that one article, I'm like, oh yeah, a lot of people sent me that. you know. And it doesn't really set you apart. It doesn't do what it needs to do, which we call priming, which is get you remembering who we are, and then later on, if you follow up, We know, we remember the transaction, we remember the conversation, we remember who you are as a person, and then of course, later on, if you need something, then it's always kind of there, and and priming takes on different functions. There's a guy named Corey, and he's like 18 years old, and he did a really kick-butt job with this, and he said he learned it from the show, which is great, and and, uh, he really rocked it. What he did is he said, hey, I've been listening to you for a long time, what do you think of this guest? It was like this uh, author that's a little bit more spiritual than we usually get into. And he said, I know you're going to think this is a little bit woo woo, but a lot of this can be applied in a practical way. Here's how. And he listed some bullets and he said, further, if you're interested, I will reach out on your behalf. You can either send me a pitch or I'll just make one up and I'll see if I can get him to do the show. And the one favor that I would ask is if he offers to do the show, would you let me sit in on it? And I said, this is a no-brainer. You're going to get me a best-selling author? Yeah, maybe, right? We'll see. And all I have to do is Skype you in, and you're not even going to talk? I'm, I'm fine with that. You know. So he did that, and the author turned out to be coming to San Francisco. So I said, hey, great. He's going to be here live. And he goes, great. Can I come over and take you out to breakfast and sit in on the show? And I said, oh, well, sure. Why not? So, what? So, he got to meet his favorite author, sit down in on an episode of his one of his favorite podcasts, and he set the whole thing up, did all the legwork, and it turned out to be one of the greatest episodes that we've done this year with Dan Millman. And I thought, wow, this kid totally did this right. A lot of it was sort of accidental, and a lot of it was learned from Art of Charm, but it really worked out for him. And so, you know, this system of priming, getting someone to to trust you and following through on what you say you're going to do, providing value, and then asking for a little something. In my perspective, just a little something in return. Can I sit in on this turned into a
0: bigger opportunity for him? Well, let's unpack that example. It's such a great example because we talk, like you said, about value in this very abstract way where it's like provide value. What does that mean? We also threw around the word social capital, and we should share that like our philosophy on social capital is that it's it's a very simple thing. It's just the value that gets created when you share the resources that you have to help other people. And that can take a few different forms. It could be people like introductions. It could be knowledge, which is like any kind of information, whether it's uh, an article or a skill or an Mm. expertise or a tip or even an opinion or a piece of advice. Or, and this is the third most powerful in some ways uh, form of social capital, is emotional investment. And the example you just gave I thought was super interesting because it blends all three of them together. He was connecting you to a person. He was hooking you up with some information that took the form of a podcast, but also, I'm sure, principles that you've taken into your life and your work. Sure. But in the process, he was also saying like, hey, man, I love your podcast. I want to help it. I want to help you. So let me, in the form of this person and this knowledge, give you my emotional investment. Mm-hmm. And I think the best networking moments, even the small ones, even the tiny ones, are the ones that blend those three together.
2: Absolutely. And, and what he did really well now that I forgot to even mention because it was so seamless, he estimated all of my pain points by putting himself in my shoes. Like, hey, I know you probably have a lot of authors to reach out to. I'll do it. Let me find out when he's going to be in your town so we can do it live. Let me figure out if he's interested and pitch your show in a way that I know will work for him having read his work. Let me pitch you in a way
0: having known your work. He figured out your needs and then reverse engineered the solution. But I have a question for you about this. In a way, he was offering a ton of help to you, right? but then he also asked you for something. But we often talk about in our networking stuff about how important it is to give before you take, yeah. like, to invest without any expectation of an immediate return. In this example, it wasn't, they didn't come together, but it was sort of like, here I'm giving, but also if it happens, would you be able to help me out in this way? What's your feeling about when it's okay to ask for something uh, in relation to like giving something?
2: Yeah, that's a good question and very important. In this example, it wasn't transactional. He wasn't like, I'll introduce you if you let me sit in on that. And I know I kind of said it that way, but I could have said, no, I don't record like that. And I I guarantee you, knowing him now personally and being a, a buddy of mine, he absolutely would have still done it just to hear his favorite author on the show. That would have happened. That wouldn't have been an issue at all. And he made it okay because the ask was literally it was not that big at all, and he was right. He was banking on me going, yeah, it's really easy for me to let you sit in on a show, that was cake. Had it been like, oh well, I need you to fly me to California to say, I would have been like, go fly a kite, I don't need you, I can reach out to this guy on my own and save $400, right? It, it would have been much easier. It's okay to ask when the ask is something that's not transactional in nature, right? It wasn't a real condition of me getting the value that he offered. It was a, hey, it would be really cool if, as a result of this totally working out due to my work, I could do this, I would appreciate it. It wasn't, if you don't let me do this and you don't sign on the dotted line, I'm not gonna do the work on your behalf. That would've felt really smart me and I would've never replied to the email and I probably would've just put Dan Millman on my to be interviewed sometime, maybe never list and we'd still be, sitting here. So it would have been lose-lose for both of us, actually. The principle
0: of give before you take still totally still applies. Still totally applies. But that question that we get a lot from listeners and readers is, is there like a magical window or time frame, like, give for this long or this much until I take? No, not really. No. It's more about the spirit of giving, making a demonstration that you're willing to give. And there's no like magical amount of time that passes before you can suddenly take. It's so much more about whether it's an organic moment within the relationship.
1: Well, the other interesting dynamic about that is if you give without worrying about the take, it often falls in your lap anyways. So you don't even have to really take. Offers start to magically appear in your network. So true. So it's just putting the focus, the energy, the effort behind giving. And all of a sudden, you're going to see all of those gives turn into favors for you and people connecting you with people you'd never have met. So that's the power of just giving and giving to people that you want to
2: matter in your life. I agree 100%, and just to sort of hammer that point home, if you're thinking about when you can do the ask, you're making it transactional already. Like you're just pretending at that level to give, give, give without keeping score because you're just thinking, man, at some point, I'm gonna pull the trigger and get something from this person. It doesn't mean you never have any expectation of any return, quote unquote, on your investment of time, effort, energy. It just means that you're not worried about when. If you find yourself going, oh, I really hope this guy helps me with my launch, you're not doing it right it's really inauthentic you're, you've got a covert contract where this person has to help you otherwise you're going to be pissed off and disappointed
0: right there's a difference between generally conscious or aware that this is the way relationships work that's totally different from being like i know specifically what i might get out of this at some point right good point it's reciproc knowing there's reciprocity in all human relationships
2: that are beneficial is one thing thinking and then he'll publish my book
0: is transactional. But all the big caveat to this is whether somebody else shares your values. And I think another thing that a lot of especially early networkers get into is like, well, I've been investing and I've been helping and I've been looking for all these opportunities to pitch in, but I don't seem to be getting the return that I wanted. That itself might be a symptom of this transactional mindset. But there's something to be said also for helping people who share the same values of social capital that you do, people who don't take and take and take and never give, or people who appreciate the kind of emotional support or knowledge or people you might be hooking them up with. If they don't share those values, then you could be investing in something that just isn't a fruitful relationship, which is a whole issue in and of itself. Mm -hmm. We talk about it as seeing the world as people, or as Jordan, you always talk about it, seeing the matrix, which I think is such a great Metaphor for this. Like, you kind of get two groups of people in the world. Uh, One group views the world as like a series of processes like, oh, I'm applying for a job. So let me create my resume, apply for the job online, write the cover letter, sit and wait a couple weeks for somebody to respond, you know, get called in for the interview, prepare and talk, and then hope for the best. You know, that's kind of one camp. And then there's like another group of people who I think tend to be smarter, more ambitious relationship builders who start to look at opportunities as really a set of relationships to navigate. And when you look at opportunities that way, number one, they get way more fun. Two, they tend to go much better because when you're translating process into people, you're suddenly working the relationships angle as opposed to just like the surface level opportunity. Instead of going through the motions of the job interview, you're actually connecting with your hiring manager. Right. You're making relationships at that company. You're tapping into your network to get advice on the process. Suddenly everything takes on a dimension of people. We've dedicated a whole section of the social capital course now to that idea. And I think it's like one of the differentiating factors between people who seem to have consistently good results with their opportunities and people who sort of, you know, leave it up to chance.
2: Right, the the idea is you should seem to be like, you're the guy or girl who's just getting lucky all the time by opportunities falling in your lap because people don't see the groundwork that was laid where you just made real connections with people. Instead of going, what can this person do for me? Nothing, next, or oh, that didn't work out for me, next. Gavin, you keep in touch with people really, really well. Like even, I've noticed just in passing conversation, you're like, oh, yeah, my old manager at, Deloitte was really good about this. And, I, you know, we just had coffee last week. And I'm like, geez, I haven't seen anybody I used to work with for a while except for one or two guys on Wall Street. But had I had this mindset, I'd probably still be friends with like all the partners and all the, you know, had I been more intentional about it. But you've been doing this kind of naturally for a while. And now, of course, we've systemized
0: it. It's funny you say that. I mean when you when you're in it you don't think about it too consciously when networking becomes a habit. Like right. like the day that I'm like, oh gotta network today, kill me. Like yeah. I do not wanna be that guy and it's not that much fun to no. think of, you know, your life that way. But I think when you do make it this layer, then everything is through and because of people. So relationships get easier to maintain.
2: AJ, you're really good at this too, because whenever I come down to LA to hang out, it's like, let's walk into this club with a giant line and not pay and walk backstage and say hi to a bunch of people and drink a bunch of free drinks and hang out. And then those same people are at the barbecue like three days later. You're not thinking, well, if I invite them to have a hot dog, I'll never pay for anything again. It's like, it's just the way that you've sort of behaved in L.A. for a while that you just don't have to worry about the stuff that everybody else has to deal with, like lines and having money, (laughs) so. Well, it's really
1: important that, again, we find what interests the other people through being curious and figuring out where they offer value to the world. And if we view people as being able to offer value to the world, it's very easy for you then to make those connections. And your example with Gabe, right? You're talking about a topic and he's like, oh, I remember my manager was actually really good at this. Well, that's one way that his former manager offered value to the world. And if you can recognize that in people early on and then allow yourself to add value in those areas for them, all of a sudden you're connected in a way that you don't worry about lines. You don't worry about things coming to you. They're just naturally falling in your lap. So one thing that I think a lot of people struggle with as they start to you know, get those business cards, get those phone numbers, and maybe even start to recognize some of this value is the follow-up and the maintenance of this. It sometimes becomes a little unwieldy.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point because a lot of people sort of seek to like automate this by having, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also sort of this weird transactional thing that happens when you have a spreadsheet of 400 people and you're sending cut and paste emails. It's kind of a weird phenomenon that once, if anybody ever finds out that you're doing it, which it's not that hard to read between the lines they just kind of go oh i'm i'm a box i'm a cell in excel or in whatever microsoft pages It's not good.
0: And nobody wants to feel like a line in your spreadsheet. No. And we all have, I think, such high bullshit detectors, such transactional networking detectors built Mm -hmm. in that we know when people are being authentic, when they really want to connect. And this conversation that we keep coming back to, you read about it all the time online, like ways to systematize your network, tools that will, you know, hack your way to maintaining your relationships Mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, we've all heard versions of that headline. I think is getting into this conversation of like, do I need to develop a system or should I leave it entirely to opportunity? We dedicate a huge amount of time in the social capital stuff to figuring out what the answer to that is. And I think at the end of the day, if you can be efficient, you should be. There are great reasons to find the shortcuts that'll get you there. But... It's so much more impactful to maintain a relationship authentically and organically Mm -hmm. because an email that you send, if you're like at the gym one day and you suddenly remember working out with like an old buddy 18 months ago and you're like, how is that guy doing? I was not he working on that book? I should check in and you check in by saying that that guy is going to feel like that's an authentic piece of communication as opposed to like, oh, got a Google calendar reminder, better follow up with Mark. He'll know from that email.
1: That's K A J A B I dot com slash charm.
3: Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over seven billion dollars. All right, back to it.
2: Speaking of bullshit detectors. People's are are actually miscalibrated because almost nobody is good at this skill set, which is why it's so high value, which is why people who are great at it bring in opportunities and are compensated for it, they get promoted faster. But it, there's a double-edged sword. I used to, before we had like a bajillion people on our Facebook and followers on Facebook, I used to write to everyone on their birthday. And I'd say, hey man, happy birthday. I use their name and everything, and I'd be like, what are you gonna do this year? Or some variation, like do you have big plans? What's on the docket? And a lot of people never answered. And I thought, what the hell? So the next year, if I saw that message was the last one in our conversation, I'd be like, hey, happy birthday. You know, are you gonna just ignore this one too? You know, smiley face. And and a lot of people wrote and go, oh, geez, I didn't realize that wasn't an automated. And so part of that is my fault for not being able to sort of convey that. But there's only so much you can do when something is not automated, if you're engaging people only on maybe their birthday. But it shows you that People are so suspicious of even reconnecting with old friends that, that they, and it's so outside their reality that somebody would actually give a crap that they sometimes don't answer. Now, what I found was really interesting was entrepreneurs, people who are, are, are really high net worth, people who are really moving and shaking, or people who are bosses and maybe a little bit prodigious in their, their achievement, they always answered. They always got back to me because they were like, "Oh hey, Jordan, what's up? Here's my plans. What about you?" But the guy who worked at like in a friggin cubicle as an account manager for whatever, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I doubt it's his dream job. They were always like, "Ah, this is some automated bs." And I thought, after five years of doing this,
0: this is not a coincidence that these
2: mindsets are totally different.
0: Well, I think that a lot of people definitely have been um, desensitized, maybe is the right word, in this world where, like, you know, we're all getting inundated constantly by, seemingly authentic attempts to stay mm-hmm. in touch, but not always. That maybe like their bullshit, their bullshit detectors have been miscalibrated, because mm-hmm. they're like, ah, this can't be real. This can't be a real communication. But I think this also gets into what we talked about a few minutes ago when he said that it really does take two people who share the same values it when it comes to those relationships. Like if I value keeping in touch with somebody who's interesting, mm-hmm. then that's half of the equation. And then you have to be also interested in maintaining a relationship based on that value.
2: Yeah, and a lot of folks are like, well, this isn't going to work my friends aren't responding or these people aren't responding or, hey, Jordan, you even said yourself it's not working. It becomes a screening mechanism by which you'll find, oh, well, if this guy's not even going to answer my text because he thought, oh, you're just asking me what I'm up to and I don't need to reply, and you find that all of your entrepreneur friends or all of your you know, boss-manager level friends are doing this right and everyone else is doing it wrong, it becomes a selection process whereby, yes, sorry, you're gonna have to weed out some people that aren't gonna follow this, but on the upside, what that means is that a lot of the people who are answering you and who are engaging and keeping in touch and reciprocating, they tend to be the more successful people and your network tends to sort of, it's self-cleaning. Yeah, well, I definitely agree that the most successful people are the most connected
1: people. It's the difference between trying to start a business with an idea and not knowing how to market it and having someone in your network that knows exactly how to market it, someone else who knows exactly how to get your traffic, someone else who knows exactly how to build a website, right? It's, it's having a team of people behind you to support you. And that's what that genuine connection fosters. So it's like, yeah, my friends have no problem helping me cut the line or offering me a meal. And it started as small as just inviting them over on Sundays because I had T V NFL Sunday ticket. And they had no place to watch the football game. So it's so funny to me when people are like, I don't understand how I could give value to others. I don't find value in myself. I think a lot of times they think value has to be this massive explosion in fireworks when instead it's just like a very comfortable, easy experience for someone else, giving someone else your ear and offering them a little bit of advice.
0: So true, exactly, like I think we overstate how important our own value has to be when right. it's really these small human forms that can move people or deepen those relationships. The example you just gave is actually perfect AJ because you know we talk a lot also about building a platform and we talk about how much easier it is to network when you have a platform in the same way people start to like, "Oh, so that means I have to have a podcast or a huge blog with a hundred thousand right. followers in order to actually meet the people I want to meet well. Sure, that helps, but that is, first of all, years in the making, and it's actually not necessary. A platform can be as smaller as big as you want to make it the idea is whether you treat it like a platform and invite other people mm-hmm. in and i love the example of inviting people over to watch football because i think that is a platform that is a live action you know real world platform you could have sat on the couch watching that alone or with one other friend but instead you chose to invite other people into it and to me that turns it into a platform the same way that a dinner party is a platform where you might send 10 separate emails they might be great emails but you'd have to send them to 10 different people or you can invite 10 people around your dinner table and have a, a cool conversation and get everybody together. The platforms that we end up using, that we end up building, don't have to be crazy sophisticated. The idea that they have to be sophisticated can itself become a barrier right. to being a great networker because you think you got to do all this stuff before you can build relationships, and you really don't. You can watch football. You can have a few people over for dinner. You can go to a movie with a, with a group of friends as long as you treat it as an opportunity to bring other people into your life.
2: Yeah, you outlined this really well in Social Capital, uh, in the module about platforms. And one of the things that you reinforce is that the platform is is self-sustaining. It's not something that you build in order to share your own stuff or to market to other people. It's something that you invite other people to, which increases your network And then of course, by also having that platform with people in it, it also increases your value. So it snowballs over time. So a lot of people think, well, I'm gonna network, I'll I'll start this whole process of relationship development after I launch my prototype, or my product, or my website. You're actually doing it backwards. You need to dig the well before you're thirsty. And a lot of people fail to do that, mostly because they don't know how, or they don't have the confidence to do it. So doing it after the site launches, or after the product is on the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is a great, convenient, realistic-sounding excuse. The problem is that's why a lot of these companies, and I see this in startup land in the Silicon Valley area a lot, they're going, all right, well, yeah, we'll build those relationships later, or we'll take on investors that have those relationships. And it's like, well, how are you going to even make that happen? And also that's really expensive money to get is somebody who's already got a network. The reason that investors and VCs are valuable isn't just because they can cut a check, it's because they know everyone else. What if you didn't need that? Or what if those people came to you because you knew everyone else too? You know, there's a huge advantage in this. There's never a disadvantage to spending time connecting with people. There's no reason that that would ever be bad, although you can overdo it actually, and you and I were talking about this earlier today
0: there are networking pitfalls that can masquerade as advantages or strengths uh, if you take networking too far or if you invest in it in the wrong way. So like, you know, here we are talking about how important it is to have these relationships, to build them before you need them, to make networking a part of your life. But that could just as easily become a full-time job at the expense of actually building stuff of your own, right? Like you have a company or you have a job at a company or, or you have side projects and these things need your love and attention. But Instead, you're, you're trying to meet people and connect people and, and do all the textbook right things to do in terms of networking at the expense of actually creating value of your own. And so I think it's a, a seductive way to fall into that trap because it's hard to feel like you're making a mistake if you're meeting people. But as you and I, Jordan, were talking about recently, when, when you meet somebody who tends to do that, when they've kind of like replaced their own value entirely with their network. Right. Those conversations, those exchanges, those introductions tend to be kind of transactional. They tend to be a little bit surface level. I think this is fascinating, this whole idea that you can almost network too much if you do it at the expense of other things you should be doing. Sometimes
1: just listening to people, the platform will again fall in your lap. So recently I've probably had three or four different friends mention poker, their desire to play poker or playing poker in Vegas. And I was like, you know what? I should start hosting a poker night and invite some interesting friends over and see what shakes out of it. And all of a sudden, there's been this huge demand, and I have everyone asking me, okay, when is this happening? When is this happening? And I don't even have the supplies for it. I realize I don't have enough seats. So it's interesting how just being a better listener and being a little bit more curious about what interests other people in your current network have, that platform,
0: that that event that you can host might fall out of those conversations very easily. Great example of opportunistic networking. I think that example is like the classic one of if you sat around AJ thinking like, well, I'm good at poker and I enjoy it and I need to connect with a bunch of people. Whom do I know who likes poker? Like, you might come up with a handful of people and that might be a really fun evening. But the fact that a bunch of different people basically told you what they need and then you were like, oh, that lines up with what I, what I want and need. So let me just host this thing. I think that kind of networking, which to me isn't really networking, it's just exchanging social capital, it's hanging out, it's getting to know people, means a lot more. And that's the
1: fun part is a lot of people aren't willing to put in any effort. A lot of people are lazy or they are scared. So sometimes small effort like buying some poker chips and inviting some people over can build
2: that platform that no one else is willing to do. So true. How do you know if you're
0: networking too much at the expense of other things? I think in most cases, the quality of your networking will tell you, like if you've ever sat down to write an introduction email between two people, which is something that we should all be doing because it's the easiest way to like rejuvenate relationships, connect up our network, it builds social capital. It's fantastic. But if you've ever sat down to write that email and it's been really hard to write. Like you're struggling to come up with what to say about why you're introducing these two people or what specifically they should talk about or, you know, what it is that you have in common. Like that's a surefire sign that something's a little bit off that either you don't know these people that well or you don't have a compelling reason to put them in touch that you're sort of just doing it transactionally. I think if you're if you're honest and authentic about your own experience of your networking, you'll usually know if you're doing it without the social capital to make it meaningful. That's exactly
2: true, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really good sort of measuring stick, I think, for that. As, as, ve- as sort of flexible as that measuring stick might be, it's still there. This is a problem, though, that if you think, maybe I have that, you probably don't have that. Like, you've really, the people we're thinking of, they put in a lot of work building relationships, and it's still
0: working really well for them, it's just that it's kind of all they do. Well, that's a different story. Like, if you are a relationships guru, then it's sort of your job description to be building relationships left and right. Like, Mm -hmm. if you've written the book about it, uh, as there are, you know, a few people out there like that, like, that is so in line with what you do that you might say, yeah, it is my job to simply build relationships. But honestly, most of us are not that guy. We are all creating value on our own in our own ways, whether it's a side project, a company, a startup, you know, whatever it is, a skill or a piece of expertise – and if uh, that is coming second to you just mechanically matching up your network for no reason other than just to smash people together, then you fall into that trap. These are all amazing points. I think one thing I really want to nail down, though, I think is really
2: important is is the maintenance. We talked about not making the maintenance too automated or too transactional, but
0: how do we do it right? Well, if all relationships are ultimately about social capital, which means that you're ultimately sharing your people, your knowledge, and your emotional support. Those are basically the three things that we exchange in a relationship. Then the first step to maintenance is always going to be keeping that social capital alive. Like you have to have social capital in the first place in order to invest it in your relationships. What that means on a very practical level is that you always wanna be renewing your people, meeting new people, connecting them, Uh, And that opens you up to all those secondary networks so that you constantly have an interesting group of people in your network you could reach out to or you could introduce to other people. In terms of knowledge, I mean, we're going through core AOC textbook stuff, but, you know, it's always about being curious and being open to learning new things. That means reading, listening, whether it's books, podcasts, or even conversations in the street. And then always expanding how well you can connect emotionally with people, which is a practice, I think, of empathy. And we've talked about this on the podcast a bunch. When it comes to the mechanics of actually staying in touch, I think the most important thing, if we're talking about, like, system versus opportunity, is to instill those habits. And Jordan, you and AJ are are actually so big on habit forming. In fact, (laughs) seeing how you live your life is actually a great testament to that. Like, every day seems to be driven by the habits. And I think you can apply habits to networking.
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, AJ said this earlier, but networking is a set of habits, a way of being. It's not just the meeting people and the follow-up or the meeting people and the going to the curated event. That's not just the set of habits and the way of being or the way that you approach people. It's in the maintenance of the network. It permeates your whole relationship building philosophy and your actions. It's always on.
0: Yeah, it's always on. And that's what a habit does. And so we can talk very specifically about that. I think one of the core habits that we're teaching as part of our social capital approach is get in the habit of making introductions. It seems so obvious, but it's such an easy thing to let slip, mm-hmm. because it is an automatic way to stay engaged with the people you know, to connect them up, and to see what interesting, magical, spontaneous opportunities come out of those introductions. Now, in the beginning, I think you can start as humbly as like introducing two people you know every single week. For most of us, that isn't impossible. That's totally doable. And if you start there, then you'll be making 50, more or less, 50 introductions a year. That's 100 new people you're connecting to say nothing of all the secondary introductions they might be making, right? So I think the first main habit is to get in the habit of making introductions among the people you already know.
2: A good number, by the way, if you're sort of new to this, is one per week and then eventually graduate up to three per week. It's important they be meaningful. So don't go, I'm going to just do three right away and then you're introducing your florist to your gardener because you need to make an introduction. You made a really interesting
1: point earlier about that successful example of someone you know, adding value to your life and it's identifying someone else's pain point and then finding someone else you know in your life that could offer value for that pain point. So last night I was at dinner with a buddy and he... Moved out of his house, he moved into a new house, and he was thinking about Airbnb renting his old house because he has it at a really low rent currently. And it just so happens that I have a friend who manages properties all over the world and basically furnishes them and runs them on Airbnb and knows exactly how to price them, and just basically knows how to kill it on Airbnb. And I was like, huh, very interesting. I'll just mention this casually in conversation, make that connection. And sure enough, they took interest, and all of a sudden, they're talking and signing contracts. And it was literally hey, my buddy's
0: struggling with this pain point, who in my life offers value in this area? I think those random opportunities to connect are so powerful because in a way like, if you let the world tell you what people need, then you can be the guy who fills it. You can be the person who fills it with that value, which might be an introduction or a piece of knowledge or just a conversation to help somebody out. I love those moments because they tend to come up exactly when the two people need to meet. Like your friend needed somebody to help him with his Airbnb approach, and the other guy was grateful probably to have some, you know, a new property to manage. Uh, most people, I think, when they hear those opportunities, they're like, oh, interesting, you're struggling, you need some, oh, that. yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess I would want to rent out my house too. But they wouldn't go the extra step to think, wait a second, how can I put these two people together?
2: Right. Or they might even think, yeah, I had a friend that had that same problem. Feel your pain. Not, oh, I had a friend that had that same problem. He solved it. How did he solve it? I should put you guys
0: in touch and see if he can help you solve it, too. Or even stop to just share what that solution was, which is a form of knowledge, which is a type of social capital. And I think this gets into another one of the key habits of of how to maintain your relationships, which is to get into the habit of being an active consumer of information. Most people tend to be pretty passive, I think, when they hear information. Facebook is the best example. Like we sit there and we scroll through that feed or we're on Twitter and we just scroll through the feed and we're just passively taking in information Like, oh, this person is getting ready to travel to Berlin. Oh, that's cool. I hope he has a good time. Or this person just moved to San Francisco from New York. Oh, cool. Must be a new job. I hope that person, you know, has an interesting experience in that city. But it only takes a little bit more conscious effort to take an extra moment and be like, wait a second. Natalie just went from New York to San Francisco. She's a marketer. She should totally know Paul. I'm going to take an extra 30 seconds and introduce them. And the difference between those two is becoming an active consumer of that information, just like AJ was in that moment where he heard about this property and this guy who needed some Airbnb help. There wasn't anything passive about that. He was actively filling in the gap with somebody he knew.
2: I don't want to overwhelm everybody with what we've talked about today. There's a lot here. And uh, the social capital product has a couple of solid months of sort of like weekly and daily stuff that you can do to build these habits, along with all the other stuff that we've got in that. Uh, And of course, like all of our products at AOC,
0: we guarantee it, we'll guide you through it, and we think it's effing awesome. Uh, What am I leaving out, Gabe? All of us on the team have consumed almost everything out there on the internet, out there in the world about networking and relationships, because we really geek out about this stuff. But this product is exceptional. I mean, it's, it's. I think, it's probably the most comprehensive relationship building course that I've ever seen. But what makes it really special, I think, are the specifics and the worksheets and the lessons that you can take every single day to build relationships, not in that smarmy, transactional, networky kind of way. Uh, in fact, I think this course is awesome because it's really replacing that kind of like uh, surface level networking with a much deeper, more authentic way to connect with people. And I think it's built on years of our collective research and, and insight into how that works. It was written by people who learned it and, and enjoy it. And uh, I think the course reflects that it's, it's really terrific.
1: I think the, the biggest thing that a lot of people coming into networking always ask is how can I find that value in myself? I don't have that value that AJ or Gavin has. And the amazing part about this course is the workbooks allow you to find that value. So by going through the course, watching the videos, and actually completing the workbooks, you will find that value in yourself and unlock it in your network.
2: I also want to mention that it's unisex. I know we're going to get email like, is this, but is your boot camps are for men. Is this product, no, it's for men and women. It was created by the whole Art of Charm team there's nothing that's only going to work for guys or whatever in here. So for the, the ladies that have been looking for to level up in the relationship development area for business or personal, this is f- both for the, the guys and gals that are listening to The Art of Charm. So just to be super clear. And if you have other questions about it, as usual, email me, jordan, at theartofcharm.com, and we'll get you squared away. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of